because of trauma that I've experienced, um, because of disappointments where God did not answer, where I'm like, I, I just don't understand. And there are really lives of people, right? Like, like the story with, with Mark, that, that was a human being, right? And I'm like, God, why not? Like, I just don't get it. I don't get it. This is Camus. And this is Kylie. Welcome to God is Real, God is Good, a podcast where we collect stories about God working in people's lives through big, miraculous ways, all the way down to small, everyday things. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of God is Real, God is Good. Um, This week, I have with me Sarah. Um, She is one of my classmates. Um, We study social work together at Andrews University. And yeah, yay. (laughs) And she has so kindly agreed to share some of her stories with me. So just a little like start of who Sarah is. She can tell us where she's from, a bit about her religious background. Absolutely. I would love to do that. Thank you so much for inviting me, Kylie. I'm really excited. Um, Thank you for also just hosting this podcast. I think it is an enrichment to many people's lives. Um, As you said, my name is Sarah. Um, I currently reside (laughs) in the beautiful state of Michigan, but am originally from Germany. This is where I grew up. Um, My family is also still out there love um the country miss it too um yeah and i think as you said i am studying social work i'm very passionate about it um i believe that god called me to be a social worker and that will be probably a different story for a different uh, (laughs) podcast (laughs) and um my religious background i grew up a seventh-day adventist i still affiliate with um, this particular church denomination. My dad is actually a pastor. Um, uh, He did not um, grow up in this particular denomination. Um, So it's it's a very interesting uh, dynamic, I think. Um, Gave me a little bit of different outlook. And um, yeah, my mom has always been Seventh-day Adventist, I guess, so it's like, um, so I was very blessed, I think, personally. Um, to grow up where in, in the home that I grow up, grew up in. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And that probably having like that extra perspective from your dad about other um, denominations and stuff could be, I think it's quite eye opening to like learn about other denominations and just like have that background and stuff too. So that's cool. Absolutely. Um, we actually, it was interesting, maybe a side story. Um, it was interesting in, in Germany, we have, um, when I was growing up uh, in school, we had two particular uh, religion classes. That was the Lutheran and the Catholic. Oh, really? And because I was in seven, because I was seven day Adventist, or was not following into this these two different categories, right? Um, in I think starting fifth grade, uh, I wasn't allowed to go to those uh, classes anymore. Oh. And so they put me into a class that was called ethics, where they put all the other religions oh so we had muslims we had greek orthodox we had like anything there and um they usually made it a part of also um us introducing um the religious background that we have so it was really cool i started learning very early on um about different religions that's cool that's a cool like thing and especially that it's like part of their schools and stuff like yeah especially because here in america we're so like 
separated between those things. Um, yeah, like we said, that's kind of a side topic, but that's interesting to learn. Um, we're going to pray though, and then I'll just let you get into your main stories you brought for today. That's good. All right. Um, dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity to record Sarah's stories about how you've worked in her life and how she has come to know you better and seen you in different ways. Um, and thank you for yeah, this opportunity. Please just be with us. Send your Holy Spirit to be with the words that we speak and give me questions to ask um, to that will bring glory and bring out the fullness of the story and the fullness of what you've done. Um, yeah, and just like I said, pour your Holy Spirit upon us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, so as I was uh, thinking about what I will be sharing today, um, a particular topic came to mind, um, and I just believe that God put that on my heart. So I, I, I somewhat called it um, this, this overall topic, the mystery of prayer. And uh, I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure if people will like that really, because that's not always how we look at prayer, right? Prayer is not really a mystery. You know, we have clear instructions on what we should do and how we should do it, um, even though I wonder sometimes how clear they really are, but that's a different story. Um, I call it the mystery of prayer because we sometimes don't fully grasp how it really works. I've been many a times at the point where I felt like that was really arbitrary in how he answered. And um, maybe that is has been your experience too, right? For those that are listening as well, it definitely has been mine. And still we engage in prayer with hope, anticipation, excitement of what we believe God is able to do. But at the same time, we may be fearful and worried, doubtful of whether he will choose to answer or not. Um, and this can feel like a paradox, I think. I have written books, uh, not written, I've read books. <laughs> I've been there. I've read books on prayer. and. Um, this will not be an exegesis, but really just a personal story, a personal experience with the struggle of uh, this practice of which the outcome seems sometimes, maybe often unpredictable. And still I, still we engage, I think, and still it gives us so much hope. I will be sharing a story from uh, one, a volunteer experience that I had. Um, I volunteered in Tanzania, Africa. Uh, that's East Africa, and for about a year. And so, yeah, this is, this is a story from there. I hope you will enjoy it. Moses's story. Somebody touched me at my shoulder. I turned slightly over and opened my eyes. The stark hospital ceiling light glared into my face as I was trying to figure out who the pair of eyes belonged to that I looked at. Old Nokia ringtones blared in the background. I carefully set up not to wake up the little one right next to me. Moses, the three-month-year-old little boy slept tight, and I had been busy making sure he would not remove his oxygen. Eventually, I must have fallen asleep at his side. It had been a rough night, not only because the doctors were worried about Moses and his coughing, but also because mom and son we shared a room with allowed baby to play with her phone. To my dismay, he went through all the old Nokia ringtones and alarms <laughs> available. 
I filled in Kathy, the pair of eyes that had woken me up. Kathy was another volunteer at the orphanage in Tanzania who would do the next 24 hour shift. Moses seemed better, though he still had difficulties keeping the formula down. He was diagnosed with a severe bronchitis, making it hard for him to breathe, hence the oxygen, but also eat. It had been a long 24 hour shift for me. I took public transportation back home, which would take another 40 minutes in a crowded minivan with more people than seats. The smells of spices, bonfire, perfume, and sweat created an interesting mixture that I had by now become used to, as well as bodies pressing against each other. I cannot remember if I stared out the window or stared into nothing, but I stared, reflecting and processing on the last night, on Moses, and silently prayed for his recovery. Moses had come to us because mom had given birth and abandoned the little one at a small stream, we were told. We don't know how long he had been out there. He was tiny and weak when social welfare brought him to us, asking us to take, for, take care of him while they investigated. He always struggled with his breathing, was slightly congested, and easily became sick. A cold not difficult to manage for other babies caused little Moses great difficulties. He struggled sometimes for weeks, weeks to fight it off. This time, when a sickness made its round, it hit him hard. He had to go to the hospital and receive extensive treatment. The doctors thought he would not make it. Mark's story. A couple months earlier, I received news that a new child had arrived at the orphanage. I walked over to the big house where the kids from six months to about three years were taken care of. On the way there, I passed the guards, Justin and Kisika, who always had big smiles on their faces. Justin would greet me in Swahili and call out, Habari Saleo Sara, asking me how I was doing, and was proud when I answered him, Nsuri Habari Nawewe, which meant, I'm well, how are you? Justin and Kisika took such great care of the surrounding environment of the orphanage and kept us safe monitoring who entered and left. I felt as in a little paradise with huge mango trees, mulberry bushes, and black and white colobus monkeys playing in the branches of a avocado tree and dropping huge half-eaten avocados to the ground. As I entered the playroom of the big house, cheers of joy, laughter, and crying reached me. To cool a time, the nannies called out, which meant feeding time. About 34 children wanted to eat all at the same time, <laughs> the usual routine started. Kids were put in their chairs if they were able to sit. Some of them had their special designated seat and waited, calling out Sarah or Bera if they couldn't pronounce my name yet, to catch my attention and be eventually lifted into their chair. Cries of rebellion and disappointment could be heard as somebody expected to be fed first. After nannies and volunteers finished feeding all these hungry little ones, I sat down to welcome our newcomer. Quietly, he stared at me. This was nothing new to me. Our kids are used to Muzungus, a Kiswahili term for white people. They grow up having white people around them. Whenever we have an older child brought to us, say about a year and older, they usually are scared and shy. After all, this may be one of the first times they have seen a white person. 
I was told that his name was Mark. I looked at him and carefully picked him up, greeting him in Kiswahili to make him feel comfortable. As I sat there naming his fingers, Upendo, the social worker of the orphanage, came to join me. She was used to my questions about the background of our kids. Whenever we met, I would ask for yet another story. This time was no exception. I told her that I was surprised that we accepted this little fella. Considering his physical appearance, he seemed healthy. Usually, we have malnourished kids brought to us, caused by the lack of proper nutrition due to their parents' poverty or other causes. Upendo shared with me that his mother, Mama Mark, had brought him out of fear. Mark didn't develop as usual, and at one and a half years old, was only able to sit. He didn't talk, nor had he tried to start walking. As I listened to Upendo, I had a closer look at my new friend. His cheeks were chubby. He was alert to a slightly slower reaction. Upendo shared that mom observed his hair to be of a very light color compared to other children his age, having their beautiful dark curls. I knew our nannies would do everything they could to help little Mark, and we as volunteers would help them. As months passed by, Mark became more and more used to his new home, though he still did not make big improvements. Some kids needed simply a little more time though. I remember Mama Mark would come and visit her son at least once a month. This was rather unusual, as most of our kids rarely had visitors. Transportation was inconvenient and troublesome, especially for those giving their kids into our care. Many don't live close by and would need hours, if not days, to come and see them. Mama Mark was a happy and cheerful woman. I recall my friend Lily took a picture of her and Mark. We had the photo printed, ready for her at the next visit. She was overjoyed when she held them in her hands. Mama Mark hugged us, and I remember her smell. The smell of bonfire in her clothes was so distinct and yet so common for many people here. Then a few months after Mark's arrival, we had kids get sick. Our nurse did an amazing job caring for them until they had worsened to the point needing hospitalization. Mark and Moses both belonged to the group needing to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. To everyone's surprise, little Moses survived even though doctors had given up hope. However, the nannies were sure Allah or God had answered their prayers as Mark was brought home healthy. Due to the night shifts with Moses, I was not in tune with what was going on with the other kids. My friend Lily, another volunteer, told me that among others, Mark had been brought back home too. However, he seemed still weaker, and his health condition decreased dramatically to the point that our nurse took him to the nearest hospital that was open on weekends. It was a Friday evening when Mark became worse. Concerned, but sure, God would help him to recover, we went to bad. After all, God healed little Moses. Why would he not also heal Mark? The next morning, I was woken up early by Lily's phone ringing. Tired and half asleep, I turned around to wake up Lily, but she was awake already looking for her phone. I turned around to doze a little longer. Lily didn't say much during the short phone conversation. Every now and then I heard her say, okay, yeah, she then hung up. I turned to her and asked who had called so early. She looked at me and said, Sarah, that was Batilda, our nurse. Mark died this morning and we need to organize transportation for them back home. 
silence. I looked at her in disbelief. Downstairs, I heard our first kids getting up. The usual screaming and laughing I was woken up by almost every morning. But this Saturday morning was different. One of my kids had passed away. Slowly, the message sunk in. Lily handed me her phone to call the director of the orphanage while she went downstairs to tell our nannies. Downstairs, I hear the children's giggles be interrupted by wailing and loud cries from our nannies receiving the news. I was left alone with my thoughts on why God did not answer our prayers this time. Mm, that's so sad. Oh, thank you for sharing. But that that's so sad. So the other little boy, um, so Moses, he ended up being okay then? And he- yes, yes. He was actually later adopted. Oh. Um, yeah, the mother wasn't found. Um, there was also no one else that claimed um, to be a relative. So he, I think, was adopted with just a couple months old. Being- Goodness. Goodness. And so like, so like after this, like how did, how did that like affect your prayer life? Like, was it a struggle for a while or? Um, that's a very good question. I feel like that was just the beginning of um, me realizing more and more how um, impactful it can be when God chooses not to, I'm just going to use that term, (laughs) chooses not to um, answer prayers. Uh, And I don't think in this, this particular story um, didn't impact it as much. It just started something, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yes. Um, In Tanzania, because you feel sometimes so helpless, (laughs) There's, there's just a different, um, not only a different culture mentality that not so much, but um, because you feel like you are less in control as in your home country, if that makes sense. Also, especially if you come from a country like I did Germany, where there's a lot of structure, you know, people are naturally very um, focused on structure and efficiency, which is not so much a value in Tanzania, right? It feels just very helpless. Mm -hmm. So cutting this off, this importance of prayer would have been very difficult for me because that was really something that kept me going um, every single day, honestly speaking. Yeah, you needed prayer. And so even when you're like, God is not answering, you're like, all right, I still need this. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. I think at that point, I also could look at, look beyond. Um, I, I think... I wonder if this would have been really my child. Like I call him my child and he really, it felt like it. Um, It was very difficult. But um, I also need to reflect on the reality that I haven't given birth to him, right? Like I can't even imagine um, how it must have felt for somebody losing their child um, that they have given birth to, right? Um, So I'm not sure if that would have maybe changed it. And I'm pretty sure it probably would have. Um, but yeah, no, I can, working with children, I can resonate with the statement of like calling children that are not yours, yours. Cause yeah, all the kids I've worked with, I'm like, they're mine. This is mine. <laughs> but, but in, yeah, in reality, my kids, you know, they go home to a parent at the end of the day and stuff, but his mom, Mark's mom, how did he, was she Christian? And if so, how did this impact her? 
Yeah, so this is um, the story, of course, it doesn't end um, really there. I just chose it to end there. Um, we actually ended up uh, attending the funeral and um, the funerals in Tanzania, depending on, I think, the financial means that you have and whatnot, look very different. In her particular case, um, Mama Mark was very poor. Uh, she lived like, I don't think, I, I think it must have been at least one and a half hours car ride out in the middle of nowhere, wow. which then also puts a lot of emphasis on the fact that she still came to visit once a month at least. Yeah. Um, so it really blew our minds when we learned about that because she literally had to travel with a motorcycle to um, a town that then had a main street because she just lived out dirt roads, you know, mm -hmm. like really far out and um, stay there at a relative's house and then travel again um, because it would be night, right? And then wow. travel again to the orphanage. So it's she was really invested, um, which was amazing to see. But yeah, she, she's, um, she was Christian, um, I believe. And um, it was very difficult. It was actually her second child that she lost um, already. Yeah, and so the... Um, we had brought the body um, back to her and she just lived in this very tiny little hut and that had, I think maybe one or two windows, very tiny ones. <laughs> and I remember when they brought the body into this little hut, we were sitting outside uh, waiting for the service to start and the people to arrive and whatnot. And she had tons of women in there. Later we went inside after the funeral to um, express our condolences. And um, I actually saw her there. Anyway, she, she just started wailing. Like you could just hear her screaming as she was holding on to uh, this body um, of her little son. So it was, it was pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. That's, no, that's something that nobody wants to go through. And that's always a sad experience. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah but anyways it feels hard to move on from such a such a sad topic like oh I don't know where to go next like I feel like we need to sit in that sadness for a bit absolutely absolutely but. I usually um when I read the story I sometimes am myself overcome um by tears I think when I when I looked also for a story for it. It was actually the first one that came to mind. And I had written a couple papers on, on his story, on Mark's story. Um, because it just, it still, I think, sits very strongly, like very deeply with me. It's, it, it has always, and I think it always will. I, um, I think of the funeral, you know, it's like the song also that is sung there. Um, I still have it in, in my head, right? And if I would hear it and now I start crying too. <laughs> you know, it's just all these elements are very present. Um, yeah. 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 But I also, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. But just talking about like the mystery of prayer. Um, I like that, that concept and stuff. Cause I think like, you know, sometimes we feel like prayer should be straightforward and it should be something that's easy to understand. But then sometimes we do struggle with that. Cause like, I know like in the past I have, or I've talked to others about it, you know, like the only example of prayer we really have 
well, I guess there's a few, but like the main example we have of prayer in the Bible is, um, you know, like the Lord's prayer, father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, and that's a, such a structured prayer. And I don't think that God expects us to pray that structured prayer every time and stuff, but then sometimes it's like, okay, well, how do I pray then? You know, what do I pray? And, you know, I hear different examples of how we should pray in different ways and everything. And sometimes it does feel like prayer is a mystery. And then, especially then when we're praying and prayers aren't answered how we want them to be and stuff. So it definitely is a mystery and definitely can be a thing that people. Yeah, I think I actually, so my personal prayer life was um, changed. Um, I don't want to say dramatically, but quite a bit. <laughs> uh, when I read the book on prayer by uh, Philip Yancey, I think you pronounce his name. I can highly recommend that book. It is quite extensive. It covers also all these questions that people have around prayer. And I think the beauty of it is that he very often doesn't try to find answers. Mm. He just rather draws on, on experiences of people and um, includes prayers, includes thoughts, includes, includes even more questions. And um, because you were praying about structure, uh, praying, you were talking about the structure of prayer. I, there was one part in the book that I really liked where he had a suggestion by a woman and uh, she, she's an artist. And she said, sometimes when I um, have people ask me, you know, how they should pray or what prayer should look like, she just tells them, like, is there something that you really like to do? Mm. And it may be walking, it may be baking, it may be, I don't know, working out. She was like, well, then do it intentionally having God in mind, mm. you know, including him in this. And that is prayer. And that really resonated with me um, because I, I'm sanguine <laughs> personality. Like I'm out there, I'm extroverted, you know, I'm loud. Many people say too. <laughs> and I have sometimes a hard time being consistent. Uh, so I like when there is um, dynamic, you know, and, and just change taking place. I can do things like for two weeks, but then I'm like, well, <laughs> I mean, so I feel like that this really gave me freedom uh, in how I approach prayer um, to say, it's like, you know what? Hey, yes, I can close my eyes. I can sit in my bed. I can kneel. I can do whatever it needs to be, but I can also do something else. Mm. It just brings as much honor to God because I am including him into that space as if I would kneel, as mm. if I would somewhere else. And um, as I say, it's like, I don't want to disregard all the other practices that um, our listeners are also doing. And maybe it would be interesting to hear uh, from them how they enjoy their relationship with God, how they pray. But for me personally, that gave me, that liberated me, I think, in my thinking pattern of, oh no, this is what prayer is supposed to be. Mm. I like that. Yeah. I like that idea of like, what you enjoy, do that with God. Because, yeah, sometimes some Christians try to take, sometimes, I mean, not intentionally, but sometimes they must take the joy out of, like, the relationship with God, and it becomes, like, the structure. Mm -hmm. And so I like, it can be the joy. Mm -hmm. That's good. Maybe a different element, too, I'm thinking about um, is, that's also out of this particular book, actually, um, where the author highlights that 
um, the aspect of prayer actually not being something that gives us a particular outcome, mm. right? So um, he says the Bible doesn't rush to a happy ending, right? Why mm. should we? So um, I love that. I just, I just love that sentence because very often my mentality is, well, God, I'm presenting that to you. And I somewhat expect an answer in the near future, you know, <laughs> whatever that may look like. <laughs> But, you know, our society is also very instant, right? You order something, it arrives and so on and so forth. So having that notion in mind to say, oh, you know what? I pray, yes, maybe to get an answer, but mostly also because of a relationship. Mm. Mm. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's important too. Because like prayer is like our main form of, of communication with God. I mean, like, of course we have the Bible and stuff, but yeah prayer can really be an opportunity for us to speak to him and sometimes it is just to tell him this is what I'm frustrated with this is this is the injustice I see in the world this is the pain I'm experiencing this is the emotion I'm experiencing yeah yes Yes. and I think like that's what builds like human relationships and I Mm -hmm. think it's important to have that in our relationship with God too like you're saying I really I think that's really important I love what you just said um because I think as much as we, as I think as much as God wants us to let him know what is going on in our lives and to ask him for specific things. I also think that um, remembering the relational aspect of it is so important and um, that especially the aspect of, you know, it's like even telling him the frustrations that we have with him, not answering. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think is so vitally important and also something that I experienced like beyond the story that I shared today as I continued on in my Christian walk um, and later on where because of trauma that I've experienced uh, because of disappointments where God did not answer um, where I'm like I, I just don't understand and there are really lives of people right like like the story with with Mark that that was a human being Right. And I'm like, God, why not? Like, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Um, and then um, being able to like being able to to feel safe with him. Mm. To say, I am totally in disagreement with you regarding this. Like, this is not OK. And and I think um, that he really hopes for us to be in that space because that is when we're honest with him. Right. Mm-hmm. When we're when we are real and whenever we enter that space with him, he says, this is where I can work with you. This is where, where I'm able to, to comfort you, to be with you. Because if you are not coming to me like that, you don't want comfort from me. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause yeah. otherwise I would have told him. Um, so sitting with feelings, you know, that come as a result of, of unanswered prayers, I think is so vitally important and something that we may not do. And in addition to that, also allowing myself to sit with people that go through a rough time because mm-hmm. they don't have an um, answer to their prayer yet or may never get it, right? Because let's face it, sometimes God tells us why he doesn't answer a prayer. Sometimes he reveals that to us, but very often he doesn't. Yeah. Actually, very often he doesn't. And so we are stuck in this, in this unknown 
Um, and instead of coming with <laughs> all the reasons why God would not answer a prayer, right? Who am I? Like, I don't see the person's heart, but what I can do is be really literally a Christian and sit with them and say, you know what, this is really difficult. And I'm so sorry that this happens to you. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Yeah. To be there for others too. And I think like that sometimes why God allows our prayers not to be answered because then we understand when others aren't. I mean, mm. not always, but Ooh. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, well, we're coming towards, I think the end of our time. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be, but I didn't, I wanted to ask if you had any final thoughts or final stories you wanted to share with the listeners either way. Mm -hmm. So sure. I was thinking to mention um, maybe one um, last thought and in connection with that also Bible verse uh, that comes also from the book that I mentioned earlier. Um, And there is, he spoke with, um, a vicar. His name is Roy Lawrence. And I really liked what Roy Lawrence had to say regarding prayer, um, that prayer has more to do with resting than with striving. Mm. Prayer has more to do with resting than with striving for something. And his, um, the principle behind that is actually coming from John 15, a very famous Bible passage, right? But Jesus says, you, you're, Oh, I'm the wine, you're the branches, and so on and so forth. And he mentions, um, Lawrence mentions in this context that the branches bear fruit, not by striving or agonizing, but simply by abiding, right? Because that's what Jesus calls us over and over again to do. Abide in me, right? And you will bear much fruit. And he takes this word abiding and says, what if it is resting? Because that's really what the branch does. It just abides, it just rests. Mm. And that gets the energy. Um, And what I also liked is that whenever he prays for a person who is sick or troubled, he first thinks about how God must already feel about the person um, that he's praying for. And I think that really draws again back to this relational component, the relationship between me and the person that I'm praying for, but also between God and myself, right? Mm. Because I'm trying to find out what is it that God actually feels already about this person. And we know that God feels the same emotions as we do. He has given them to us, right? Um, And that just brings me closer into communion with God himself. It helps me to understand who he is better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really um, the essence of the Bible. He wants us to understand his character better, Um, but also connects me with the person. Mm-hmm. because I'm becoming aware of what they may feel like. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then I think um, one last thought is also seeing prayer as a means of connection or relationship rather than receiving answers. I know that's sometimes difficult, especially if we pray for very important things in our lives um, <clears throat> where it's crucial to receive an answer. And I don't say that this is um, always applicable, honestly speaking, nothing what I say here is <laughs> the answer, right? But um, seeing prayer as a means of connection and relationship, 
I think is vitally important um, because that is the means that God had chosen to, to communicate with us or to help us to communicate with him, which mm-hmm. I thought is very fascinating. And the prayer is very versatile. It, it just can look so different to what we sometimes think it should look like. Yeah. I think that's important to remember too. So it doesn't have to look like one thing, but yeah, I like what you had to share a lot. So thank you so much, Sarah. Ah, all my words now it's me. <laughs> thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing your, your, your stories and your thoughts. I really appreciate what you had to say. Um, especially just on the topic of un- unanswered prayers, because I think that we all go through that. And I know I've been going through some of that recently and I have close family members that are too. So I appreciate this topic a lot. So thank you so much. And thank you everybody for listening. Bye. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow, share, like, and review. Also, you can contact us at our Facebook page. That is God is Real, God is Good podcast. Or you can email us at God is Real, God is Good podcast at gmail.com. Bye.